Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. For anyone who wants to make money and make a difference, grow and leverage your enterprise better, get more done in less time, outsource everything and create your ideal lifestyle. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. This is Rob Moore here. I'm very excited to be bringing this interview to you with a, a really inspiring lady who I've got to know better and better, uh, is becoming a, a good friend, really inspires me to want to step up to the next level. I'm sure she will you. She's really taken over the, the kind of the internet marketing, the digital space, the book selling space. She's an MBA. She's done all sorts of things. In fact, it'd take me the whole interview to read her bio for you. But I'll just do that quickly and then we'll just get straight in. I think you're going to love this. So I'd, I'm really pleased to interview and introduce Shah Wasmund. Uh, she's an MBE for her services to entrepreneurship. She is one of Britain's most highly regarded female entrepreneurs. And not just by saying that, but it's proven because... She is in the Sunday Times top 20 most influential entrepreneurs in the UK. We were just having a chat that she's just got her new book to the Sunday Times bestseller list, which is an amazing thing. Uh, it's hard enough to get it to an Amazon best. In fact, it's hard enough to have your own bestselling book by writing one and then hard enough to get it on the Amazon bestseller list. And, and, and so she's now Sunday Times bestseller, which is an amazing uh, achievement. There's loads more, but I want to get straight in. Get some nuts and bolts and gems out of Shah. So, Shah, thanks for joining for the interview. You're absolutely welcome. Uh, an honour and a privilege. Now I just have to uh, live up to your introduction. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no pressure at all. So, actually, I want to go straight in with something I haven't written a question about because we were just talking about it and it's really fresh. You've just hit Sunday Times bestseller. Yeah, I'm so excited. Like, you know, when you start, the, <laughs> it was funny, I was listening to your introduction, I was thinking, actually, do you know what? It's hard enough just to write a damn book, let alone any of the rest of it, right? Because loads of us have ideas about uh, a book that we want to write, and, and yet very few of us actually follow through with that because, you know, it takes a little bit of work to do it. And I just, I have such admiration for everybody who takes the idea of writing a book and actually goes ahead and writes it. And when you do that, you absolutely, one of the things you always want to do is you, you, you hope, you have this little secret hope that, that it's going to make it to the bestsellers list. And kind of the, the cream of the cream, the top of the top of the bestsellers list is the Sunday Times uh, bestsellers list. So, yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to say, yeah, we, we, we hit that list last week. Wow, that's amazing. Was it your first book, second book, tenth book? <laughs> it was the uh, second version of my first book. So my first book was called Stop Talking, Start Doing. And the one that we've just come out with and followed it up with was Stop Talking, Start Doing, the action workbook. So it was a combination of um, an update of the first book with exercises, uh, a workbook element put into the mix as well. Every time I travel, I see your book. I've got a little secret ulterior motive for looking for your book, Shah, because I'm looking for mine as well. Because mine's, <laughs> mine's just in Waterstones and WH Smith and all that. And I mean, do you remember the first time you saw your own book in like WH Smith or Waterstones and how you felt about it? Oh my God, totally. So I remember the first time I went in, I think it was at Waterloo Station. And so that was quite memorable. But the best moment for me was when we pulled into a service station. I think it was at Cribs Causeway on the way to like Exeter or Bristol that, that way. And I had my son and my best friend's daughter in the car with us. And I, they, we, we got out and we went in to get some bottles of water from WH Smith. And I was in there looking for the water and I turned around and the pair of them were jumping up and down pointing to my book because it was on the shelf at number one. And then they went and got the shop assistants all by themselves, dragged the poor shop assistants over and go look, look that's my mummy's that's my second mummy's book look at that look at that look at that that was the best moment that was by far the best moment i love that and let's let's look into how you did it so you by the way every time i go to these places i always buy your book um, oh, i want to support darling. you i've got um loads of copies at home 
Uh, we should fellow authors you know we should support each other totally absolutely i think it's really important because you know it's, uh, i'm a big 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 on collaboration and i really just don't think about competition i think for a start whatever you're doing there's more than enough in this world to go round. i believe that the more abundant you are the more you help people the more you give back but certainly when it comes to books i mean Look, there's no way that somebody's going to think, oh, I don't know. I'm either going to buy Charles' book or Rob's book. I can only buy one. They're just going to go, well, tell me a good book. I'll buy it. You know, you know, all about all about the collaboration. Yeah. So your first book, what's that called? Stop Talking, Start Doing. A Kick in the Pants in Six Parts. It's all about how to kind of get over your procrastination to step out your comfort zone and to start actually living the life that you know you want to live but there's always seems to be something holding you back so if you've got like little things in your head that you know you've been thinking about or talking about typically to yourself and to your friend and then you think oh actually do you know what i said that last year and i said it the year before now whether that's to set up your own business to run a marathon to lose weight to quit smoking to get married get divorced move to the south of france whatever it is if you have it in your head and you keep talking about it or thinking about it, what has to happen to move you forward to actually start doing something about it? And that's what the book is all about. Right. And did, is that that's published? Yep. Yep, that's published. That was my first book, Stop Talking, Start Doing. That was published by Capstone, that is part of uh, Wiley. And then my second book is called Do Less, Get More. And that is with Penguin. Okay. How did you get published in the first place? So let's take that journey because this is interesting because not talked about this on many of my podcasts at all. In fact, maybe none of them. So how did you get your book published? Because one thing I know about most people I meet, and I've met 400,000 people on my journey of teaching entrepreneurs, and you probably, you know, maybe more, everybody's got a book inside them. The thing is, it's still inside them and they never get it out. And then to get published, that's a whole new level because that is the next level. How did you get published? So... Absolutely. I, like like you, have met thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs, and I'm pretty sure that literally every single one of them has a book in them. Some of them are very clear about what the idea is, and some of them just need a little bit of help on crafting that idea. But the next step is, well, what do I do with it? Do I go down the self-published route, or do I go down the traditional publisher's route? And the truth is, it's much harder to go down the traditional publisher's route, because anybody can self-publish. And I think that there are merits for both for both options it depends on what you want to use the book for and what do you want to do with it now for me i've always wanted to i love writing and i love storytelling and i love the craft and the art of of creating content so i always was very very clear that i wasn't going to use my book at least not in a in an obvious way to build my list so there's no massive calls to action in the book which you know in hindsight from a marketing perspective it's probably not that smart I could have done a lot more with it but what I wanted to do is I wanted to raise my profile and I truly believe that by raising my profile I build my brand and and in doing that I would build my email list out of it so um, what I did was I and, and this interestingly we teach people how to do this so I'm most well known for teaching people how to create online courses but once a year we hold a two-day workshop where we teach people how to create a best-selling book so I'm going to give you some of the tips that we teach in that course so the first thing I do is I go into Waterstones or WH Smith depending on whatever's closest to you and I go and find every single book that I think is in a similar category to the one I want to write and then I lay them all out on a table which is to be honest waterstones is usually better for this because you can take them to the coffee shop and lay them out on a table and then what i do is i start to take notes and i take photos so i take photos of all the covers individually and then i put them all together because here's the thing rob to sell a book it's not just about the content inside of it so much of it is about how you create your cover i'll be totally utterly honest i reckon that 90 percent of all of our sales across all of my books come from the fact that I am absolutely world-class genius, even if I say so myself, at creating titles and cover designs. I'd like to think that the reason they continue to sell well is that the content inside it is also really good. But I would say that my, you know, one of my areas of genius is, is helping people craft cover designs and book titles, because that is not just what sells it to your publisher in the first place, but ultimately it's what sells it to your consumers. So what I do is I, I go and get all those books and I have a look at the titles and I make notes 
of what the titles are. I look at the cover design. I look at which one stands out. I um, I ask the people in the shop which ones, you know, which one do they sell the most of. I also, I'm a bit of a weird stalker. I'll probably sit in the bookshop for, you know, two, three hours with my laptop and a cup of coffee. I watch what people do in that section. What book do they pick up off the shelf more than other people's? And is, is there something about that book that, that is different and stands out? Then the next thing that I do, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually doing this so that I can uh, kind of see it for myself. So what I do is I then take the book and I turn it over and I look on the back cover and I see who is it published by. So is it published by Penguin? Is it uh, published by Capstone? Is it published by Wiley? Is it published by Random House? Is it published by HarperCollins? You know, there's, which of the big publishers or even one of the smaller ones is it published by? And I start to then make a little little sheet of notes so I can see who are the publishers who are interested in the types of books that I want to write? Then here's another little trick that we teach you. If you go inside the book itself and you look at who the author thanks, you can typically find out who their agents are if they have one. Now, you don't need an agent to get a, to get a book deal at all. I got my first book deal without any agent whatsoever. I did it all myself. So you can absolutely do that yourself. But it's just, it's just interesting. It gives you some kind of like interesting perspectives. And then I start to pull together a book proposal so with my first book I approached Capstone with the concept and I did some Google keyword searching so I knew how many people were looking up you know how to beat procrastination so I could prove that it was a popular topic I mean honestly Rob it's like a formula if you can approach a publisher with the right formula and then you can prove that you've got a good idea you're you've won half the battle and then the next part is publishers want to see that you've got good marketing channels of your own now that doesn't mean for everybody listening that you have to have you know the same kind of marketing channels that rob and i do because you know we've both worked you know a number of years to build those channels up and you might just be starting out so what a publisher wants to see is they have this magic number i'll give you some really great tips here so i hope, I hope you guys who are listening are actually um are actually like I'm writing, writing them all down <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> these are really good so these are real super practical tips so everybody who's listening write this number down if you're ever thinking about writing a book write this number down the number 5,000. This is the point, this kind of like a tipping point or the boiling point for a publisher. Now, what they want to see in that 5,000 is they want to see that you've either got 5,000 people on your email list, which is possible for everybody to generate. But, you know, lots of you might be thinking, oh, God, I don't even have an email list or I've only got a couple of hundred people on it. Well, first of all, if you don't have an email list, please make that one of your top priorities to go and start working on when you get off this, this, this podcast. But you don't have to have 5,000 people on your email list because this magic number of 5,000 can be a combination of things. So it can be a combination of people who like your Facebook page. It could be people, maybe you have your own Facebook group. It could be the number of members inside your Facebook group. It could be the number of connections you have on LinkedIn. And it can be a combination of all of them. So you might be starting out, you might think, okay, well, actually, you know what, I've got 500 connections on LinkedIn. I've got a thousand people who like my business page. I've got a couple of hundred people in this Facebook group and a couple of hundred people over there. And you might think to yourself, oh, I'm just a bit shy. I've got about 3,000. I'm a little bit short. So what do I do now? Well, what you do now is in your book proposal, you tell them how you're going to grow that to, from 3,000 to 5,000. And again, that's what we teach people, how, how to grow that, but also how to put that into a proposal for the publishers. And that really, in a nutshell, is what they want to see. So um, that's exactly what I did. That's how I got my first book deal. And how many rejections did you get? And how many did you send before you got your sort of first uh, interested reply? I don't, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't a popular answer. I only sent it to one publisher and they said yes straight away. I think that's because I'd really done my research. So I knew, so when I approached Capstone, I was able to put together a proposal and we've now created a template for all of our students. So actually you just fill in the blanks, but we didn't have that at the time. So I had to create it from scratch. And what we did was I, I actually put in, you know, pictures of, other books that they would published in similar genres and then I looked up because uh, you can do this how many book sales each of those books had and I said you know you've had these three books published in the last two years which have all had sales between x and y clearly there's a market voice I think I have a different take on it I've attached my overview in the proposal and and a breakdown of um, kind of my platform and how I'm going to do this and I, I just it really is a formula and once you know how to do it it makes it so much easier for a publisher to say yes to you do you know what? That's really interesting because I think you and I live in a parallel universe where we're doing same concept, different way. 
because we have some online communities. Uh, I run a company called Progressive Property. Uh, we have about 120,000 people on the database and we have about 15,000 of them nearly who are very active on a Facebook group. And um, I do re- pretty much what you've just done, but I'll just do asking all of them. So I'll say, I've got nine book ideas. Which ones you like the best? I'll get my designer to design some covers. Which ones you like the best? I'll do some headline testing and say, here's five headlines. Which ones you like the best? I'll do some subtitle headlines. Which ones you like the best? And basically crowdsource the concept of my book, uh, Life Leverage. That went to number two in all books in the UK behind Lean in 15. And then um, Hachette emailed me saying, we want to buy the rights. So it's kind of like, in a way, you both, you and I have engineered our result, but it's really interesting. Actually. We, yeah, we did, but like, I mean, I didn't court publishing at all, but I guess I did very much similar to what you did, but I just asked a load of people and collated everything. You found a load of information that's already there, collated it and, and created a strategy around it. So totally. quite- what's, really, what's really interesting, Rob, is that um, the reason that I didn't do it your way, because I think your way is brilliant and, and it's definitely the way that I would do it or I would start it this time around. But back then, I was probably like a lot more of the people who are listening to this podcast. I had no list. I had no personal brand. I had no massive Facebook following. I had no 15,000 people in a group. So I didn't have any of those assets to work from. Now, today, I've built a lot of those up. I mean, you know, not, not quite to the same level that you have, but we've built up really strong communities. And so now I would absolutely go that way. But what's, what I love about this conversation, Rob, is it shows people that no matter where they're at, they can make this work. So there's yeah, I mean, no Sorry to just jump in, Shah, but I was, what I was really inspired by what you said is, Pretty much everybody you speak to who's got a publishing deal, it's like they they wrote their manuscript or, or whatever, you know, the uh, proposal or whatever, and they literally sent it to 62 million people in the UK. <laughs> Anyone, please read this whole thing. Please get me. And, and, and you very much, you were very strategic about it and engineered a plan and, you, you know, no rejections. Because, you know, I listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast quite a lot and, and he got rejected by loads of publishers he should have he should have used your strategy he should have used my strategy so that's really cool so by the the way Sha, we haven't we haven't got to question one yet sorry let's go sorry no no, don't be sorry this is great and i'm learning a lot and and maybe we'll come back and talk about um the book and the marketing and the book and the bestsellers and getting on that list and everything in a moment because i think it's fascinating yeah maybe we'll just do a whole separate podcast on how to create a bestseller since you've done one i've done one maybe we'll just do a dedicated podcast for anybody who's listening who wants to actually know step by step how they do it well come and uh, find me on the disruptive entrepreneurs community message me as many of you do there's three hundred thousand people that listen to this and tell me if you want it and if enough of you want it i will um i will beg Shah, and maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll do a longer double act so yeah great idea so anyway Shah, let's change gears a bit because i want everyone to who doesn't know you which won't be many, but uh, everyone who doesn't know you to really understand you and how you work as a successful entrepreneur. So that my, my listeners, uh, the disruptive entrepreneurs, if we assume that they listen and they like, love the concept, they're people who want to disrupt, innovate. You know, they want to be a bit different. They want to be successful entrepreneurs. They want to balance work and life and, you know, and, and get all that right. But they want to make a lot of money. They want to make a difference. They want to change the world. So tell me top three reasons why you think you've become successful. Tell us all. Number one. (laughs) Okay, no pressure. Number one, uh, what you see is what you get. I mean, absolutely. You 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 meet me in person. I'm the same person. You watch me on Facebook Live. I'm the same person. You listen to me on a podcast. I'm the same person. You come and have coffee around my house in a one-to-one session. I'm the same person. I am absolutely, totally, authentically myself. Now that means that some people totally, utterly love me, and some people, well, you know, I'm not their cup of tea. And you know what, Rob? I'm totally and utterly more than okay with that because one thing that I've learned as I've got older and gone through different business experiences the most to, to me the biggest kind of benefit of, of, of let's call it success isn't actually the material trappings although of course that's nice and that's important as well but actually is the ability to simply just work with the people that you love working with and so I think number one that is the single biggest reason why you know you've got to put this into perspective we didn't start, or I didn't start doing this until January 2015. I have been doing this for a year and a half. 
that's it. Because prior to that, I was running a much more traditional company with a board of directors and investors. And it was only January last year, January 2015, that I set up. I had no email list at that point in time. I had no product. I had no online course. I had nothing. We started everything from scratch. And so I think it was number one is just totally being authentically myself. Number two is always pushing myself out of my comfort zone and believing that, you know, I could do it. And what it's not, I don't necessarily believe everything I do is always going to be successful, but I always believe in trying. And from a very, very young age, so probably from about eight years old, I remember always thinking about whenever something I had to do was complicated or difficult. I don't know where I got it from. I'm sure I must have heard it, maybe even on a cartoon or something, because I grew up in the States. But I always said to myself, well, if man can land on the moon, it can't be that difficult. And I've always carried that through because I try to put everything into perspective. So whatever it is we're trying to achieve in business as we're growing, I just say to myself, well, if man can land on the moon, it can't be that difficult. So I'm constantly trying to push myself out of my comfort zone all the time. And that is an active process because the moment you get passive about that, then you, you will naturally as human beings stay inside your comfort zone. So that's the second reason. And the third reason I think uh, is because I genuinely believe in collaboration and paying it forward. I am, I'm always the first person to offer help to anybody who's prepared to help themselves. And I do it from a, a genuine place of just actually loving helping people and I think that if you do that from a really authentic place if you give more than you've got you always have more than you need it comes back to you and that means that when I help you out Rob I'm not expecting anything back from you but I know that you will help somebody else and they'll help somebody else and maybe that person will help me and I know that you have a very similar mindset so for me it's about how do we grow in this together it's not oh this is mine let me keep my fiefdom to myself and don't let anyone in it's more like let me open the gates what can I do to help you who do I know I mean the amount of people in this industry alone I mean you know most of them I've helped with their book deals um, and I've never asked anything from anybody for, for, for doing that it's because I genuinely enjoy helping people and I genuinely enjoy trying to share the bits of knowledge that I have that in a different area to maybe what you've got that I could help you with because I know that if I want to get back into property development you'd be the first person that I'd come and ask for for advice from so I you know I think that's that's just a really simple rule in life you know the more you give the more you get Love it. And I can back that up because when I was negotiating my deal with Hachette for the book, you kindly put me in touch with Penguin and had a good dialogue and didn't end up going with Penguin, but built a contact. We'll always be grateful for you to that. So I, I can definitely endorse what you've said. And I, I, I think um, to, I want to explore this bit about value, if that's OK with you, Shah, just because Absolutely. I think a lot of people worry that if they give a lot of value and give a lot of time, it's hard to remunerate it. And, you know, if you go and do everything for free as an entrepreneur, in theory, you don't make any money. And the more value you give to people, like if you could see it, if, if you could, if you had this heads up display in your mind, like you're doing a computer game or in a virtual reality headset where you've got your, your power and your battery life and the, the weapons you've got. Sorry if you're not into computer games. I was as no, kid. That's why my son is. So I'm, right. uh, you can I'm, picture this then. Yep, um, I can. Imagine if you had that sort of power meter or that battery life of goodwill and you could see it tangibly and it wasn't ethereal, you would increase value to people. It's just because you can't see those intangible connections that you make. But Absolutely. I, I think the more you help people, the more you create these intangible connections which are there, but you can't see them. They pay you better often than going online and creating a product and pumping your email list to death and, you know, and selling a load of items at 47 quid and not giving good value and then never making money again after that. So um, how much do you, how much do you agree, first of all, Shara, and, and how much faith should we have when we start up as an entrepreneur that giving value and building up goodwill will pay us when we need the money and we're skint because we're starting up as an entrepreneur? Oh, gosh. Like, I a gazillion, trillion percent agree with you and I wish more people understood this because I mean Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this I, I think very very powerfully and it, it is exactly the way you described it it's, it's like you're 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 building up this lifeline uh, you're filling up your battery you're getting your extra hearts you're buying extra weapons whichever depending on what game you're playing but the point is when you put it out there to help people 
the goodwill that you're giving out into the universe oh my god i'm gonna sound really woo woo and i don't <laughs> i'm not i'm just so not that woo woo type but i do i do believe in karma and i do totally and that doesn't mean that i'm perfect all the time and neither are you none of us are but i do believe day by day the person that you are comes back to you and if you are a person who is genuinely out there trying to help people it does come back to you now of course you've got to put some hard work into it as well rob and of course you've got to ask for help when you need it too because if you just help people and then you sit back thinking they're going to come knocking on your door to help you it doesn't work that way you've got to be in it to win it that that old cliche saying is so true you've got to be in it to win it but this is what i've noticed and it'd be interesting your take on this rob so what happens is i i'm an observer right so i watch how people treat other people not necessarily just how they treat me so i think to myself "Hmm, that was a little bit off i'm not sure and then when that person comes back to me to ask me for help i'm thinking well, they're all really nice to me because they want something. But I saw how they, you know, behave with X, Y, and Z. I'm not really sure I want to do this. The flip side of that is I see people helping people with no expectation in return. And immediately, that that person's earning brownie points in my head because I think, wow, they're not doing that for show. They're doing it because they, they can and because they care. And so... If ever an opportunity comes up for me to help that person, I will always be the first in the queue to put my hand up and say, actually, do you know what? I can give you a hand with that. And I think that's how the world works today. I think we're in a very much in a trust economy where your reputation is crucial. And your reputation isn't what you say it is. It's your reputation is what other people say it is. And people say what your reputation is based on how they see you treating people and not just the people who can do shit for you. So excuse the language, but actually people who, who you know, just regular people. And, you know, I want to caveat all of this with saying I'm not trying to suggest that we all become holier than now and, and we, we turn our businesses into charities. We have a business to run but let me tell you the power of being nice is so underrated it is like your greatest asset and your biggest weapon just be nice just be a decent human being and more good will come to you than trying to trying to worry about people stealing your ideas or stealing your business or stealing anything from you i just don't think the world works like that anymore and i I think it's a fascinating time to to be an entrepreneur we could have another podcast on this i could go for two hours on this i I, want to jump on that because i agree with that and i think um you know in america which you know where a lot of the good information comes from you know there's these words like hustle and grind and and to english people well to me who's English, but I think other English people too, you know, it brings up conversations of, you know, scrapping around and fighting for business and, you know, uh, just, just don't take, get me started on exactly. this topic. Take, take what's yours. And, and I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying don't work hard, but so I was having a conversation with someone in the car yesterday and it's someone that's uh, we're getting into a partnership with who's going to be speaking on behalf of us. But at the minute, someone else who we work with also um, speaks on that same subject. And he was he was getting a little bit upset about it in the right way because he couldn't see how he could get an opportunity. And he was a bit frustrated and he was airing some of his frustrations. And um, I was talking to him about how the you know, I couldn't just move the person out of the way that that was there and we had to get them involved as well and get them buy-in and maybe create a partnership between us. And this person who's speaking in the same subject as this up-and-coming person has earned the right to be there and done a lot for me and we've got history. And the the person I speak to stopped and said, Rob, do you know what? Even though I'm not getting what I want, I really respect the fact that you're being loyal to this person. It shows me that you would be loyal to me if I were in that situation. Totally. Uh, And so... We shouldn't underestimate the ethereal, intangible things we can't see about brand, about reputation, about how we behave. And with social media and Snapchat and everything else, I'm really paranoid at the moment. I was playing golf with my son, Bobby, yesterday. And, you know, I post some of the good stuff, but every now and again, it's really hard. And um, I, I was getting a bit wound up because he was messing about. And then he ran off and I went and grabbed him and I shouted at him a bit. And I just thought anyone could have had a, a, a phone somewhere and they could have recorded that little bit where I lost it a bit and, and went, Bobby. And, you know, I could have been all over social media and TV. Look at me, the bad example father. And, um, you know, the world is watching us with social media and videos and everyone's phones. But the way you deal with that, Rob, the way you deal with that is... You you own it. You say, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And let me tell you the rest of it that you didn't see. Yeah. This happened, this happened, this happened. Now, you tell me, I'd love to know, which of you parents out there has never in their entire lives had a moment where they've shouted at their child? For whatever reason. Like, maybe they're about to run in front of a car or you couldn't find them, they'd run off. I'm sorry, you know, how old is Bobby? He's five. Right, so He I'm knows sorry. how to wind me up. 
But also, and he's a boy, right? I have a boy. They have very different energies, right? They don't listen for a start. <laughs> I think maybe that continues into manhood. I'm not sure. But, but let's just say, if you lose sight of your five-year-old, whether it's a boy or a girl, you start to panic and you start shouting. That is just human nature. Can I just get back to that hustle point? Because this yes. is a really big thing for me. And about a point about the Americans, which I, I would love to just bring up with you on, on this podcast, because I think it's really important for all the entrepreneurs who are listening to this. So first of all, this concept of hustling. Now, I grew up in the States, so it doesn't sound like it, but I did until I was 10. So to me, hustle's always been in my dictionary. But here's the difference. In America, when you talk about hustling, you talk about hustling yourself. It's not about what you do to somebody else. It's about what you do to yourself. So for example, if if Gary Vaynerchuk says you've got to hustle, you've got to hustle to be in it. If you want to make changes, if you want to build a business, if you want, to, you've got to hustle for it. And what he means is that you've got to make a decision that you stop watching Coronation Street or whatever reality TV show it is, or or you know um, Netflix or whatever you're doing, and instead you make a conscious decision to hustle yourself to get greater results. So you wake up earlier, you go to bed later, you hustle yourself. Hustling is not about trying to like like steal something from someone else or con something out of it. I think this has been completely misconstrued by a very small percentage of the UK population who just simply just don't get it. The rest of the UK population totally understand that hustling is about yourself. It is not what you do to somebody else. It's about how you hustle yourself to get the best out of yourself, to get the best results that you can get for what you're trying to achieve. And it's a very clear observation that if you sit on your couch all day long eating chips and painting your toenails, shit ain't going to happen. It's not going to work. So you just kind of got to get off your butt and go and take some action towards it. So, you know, Probably no surprise, I love the word hustle and it's all about how I hustle myself. But but I always say, you know, it's about hustling and serving. So, you know, I've used the strap line for a long time, hustle and serve, because I hustle myself so I can serve more people. I hustle I myself that's so a I can great serve way. others. That's a great way of uh, hustle and serve. I like the kind of spin you've put on that because, like, with, in terms of value, it's actually quite measurable and material. I know it's ethereal as well, but... You will give value to someone. They will pay you according to how they perceive that value. If you give them more value than they perceive, you can either up your prices or you have an evangelical customer or client who will refer to you and buy more from you. If you give a little bit less than they perceive, they will either want a refund or they'll go and tell everybody that, they, you know, or they won't buy again if they go quiet or they go and tell everyone that actually they didn't really get good value. So it's just actually a simple formula, a metric. Totally. Give, give good value, give a little bit more than people pay for. So you've got room to increase your prices and therefore increase your profit margin. As you do yep. that, you give more value again. So you can increase it again and again and again. That's how you have a price in, incremental price increase model. Uh, totally. And just give a little bit more than you charge for, whether it's by surprise bonuses or just a little bit more. Like a book's only 10 quid. If you just if it's good, people will feel that they've got more information than what 10 quid is worth. And they'll buy every book you ever release. So it's actually quite measurable yeah. as well as intangible. Totally. And what I think is just my real frustration with this whole like concept around you, you, you brought it up a you touched on it a little bit where you said like where most of the good stuff comes out out of the states which so first of all that's a little bit of a frustration a personal frustration of mine is why does all the good stuff come out of the states i happen to agree with you right um and there's all kinds of cultural things um you know uh, that, that come into play for that i also think and and i know that you've done a couple of masterminds out in the states as well i find that that on the whole, and there's always exceptions on both sides, right? On the whole, in the US, entrepreneurs are much more supportive of each other. They're much more like, oh, how can I help you? What can I do? What you know? And I tend to find that in the UK, we are a bit more skeptical and it's a bit more, oh, I don't know. What does he want? What does she want? What are they trying to get from me? And we're, if we are supportive of each other, it's typically reactive or it's because, you know, there's a bigger game at play that somebody wants something. And I just think, I wish we could all be at all levels, not just at our level, but at all levels starting up more like the americans and how they support each other for, through growth so i belong to a couple of pretty heavy hitting 
uh, mastermind groups in in the US. In fact, um, I'm going to Florida on Sunday for a five week holiday. But as part of that, I'm flying into Denver to participate in this incredible program where I am one of uh, the uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the only female mentor and I'm the only mentor from the UK and I'm mentoring alongside people like Tim Ferriss, Noah, uh, Noah Kagan, who founded AppSumo. I'm not sure if it's Ryan Dice called Ryan Levesque. So kind of all the big hitters in our industry and little old me. So um, I'm fascinated to be part of that group. And I'm one of the mentors for the attendees who, who are coming. But when I go out to these events, this is what happens. We all go out for dinner. And somebody says, well, this is what I'm doing really well. And oh, let me share with you. Let me give you my playbook. Right? This is what we did. These were our conversion rates. This is, this is how much we spent doing this. And this is how we did. Absolute transparency. Like total and utter transparency. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's no trying to uh, you, sit and go, do you know what? We had an absolute shit X, Y, or Z. We absolutely bombed. And this is why I think we bombed. So I don't want you guys to do it. So follow, you know, let me, let me explain to you what, what, what went wrong. Nobody kind of has the feels like they need to big themselves up or they don't seem to have any desire to um, gild the lily and make themselves more important. There just seems to be a much more relaxed attitude, like there's more than enough to go around. And actually, by all working together, we're going to create more from it. And I would love to see kind of a generation of entrepreneurs. And when I say a generation, it's not an age thing. It's not like about, you know, 20 year olds coming in. I want to see a generation of entrepreneurs, which means the people who are listening to this podcast right now who are thinking thinking about starting up their own business or maybe have only just started it up to take on that mentality to reach out to other people at their peer group level even if you're just starting out and start working in collaboration with each other because it makes the world of difference i just get frustrated by the fact that you know you and i have to typically jump on planes to go to the u.s to get that kind of real deep engagement and learning and transparency and and i think that it is a cultural thing and i'm, I'm hoping that that's gonna you know soon be more prevalent in the uk than it is currently amen to that and you know maybe in the future we should uh, get off our soapbox and actually start doing it ourselves and create it yes um, we should uh, they- <laughs> start doing <laughs> yes exactly let's take the advice of our own book titles <laughs> All right, great. So can we do some quick fire questions? Because I've got loads more. Go. Um, uh, before I do that, I just want to make a quick, uh, there's a few dings and pings. It's my end, it's not Shah's. I mostly try yeah. and do these live. Shah and I have been trying to do this for ages. We couldn't meet up because we're both uh, busy doing other things. I'll make sure that um, Tom, who, as you know, is the guy behind the podcast in terms of the techie side, sorts it all out. So forgive me for that. It's on my side. It's just pinging yeah, well, all over the place. I had thought, oh, that's not me, is it? No, I've turned no, everything past. It's from not the sky. you, and you're doing really well to talk through it like nothing's happening. It's fine, don't uh, worry. <laughs> you've obviously experienced that. All right, Shah. So give us a few top tips. Keep it brief because not a lot of the listeners are men, but you know, you're one of the rare female interviews. We had Joe Fairley, co founder of Green and Blacks as well. So yeah, she's you, amazing. She is, and you're not on your own, but couple of tips on being a successful female entrepreneur that's maybe unique to you ladies that us men wouldn't understand, but could really help with being a, you know, a mumpreneur, you know, having um, children like you do or, or things that are exclusive to women. Top tips. Just do sort of three or four minutes on that. Okay, so um, I don't think there is that much that's exclusive to women, if I'm being honest, and maybe that's my unique take on this, is that I think that the most important thing as a woman in business is just show up as yourself. Don't think that because you're a woman, you have to put yourself into a different position. You have to fold yourself up into this particular shape to do this particular thing. I just don't think that makes you happy. Okay, I don't can, think I, it makes that's, you- can I just challenge you in on that? Because yeah, this, sure, this could get really point. interesting. So <laughs> have you therefore not experienced ever anyone that you think's ever wanted to do business with you because you're a woman or or conversely has not wanted to do business with you because you're a woman I think that being a woman in business has 99% of the time been a benefit to me because it means people remember you more because you're typically the only woman in a in a, in a situation. The 1% of the time that it hasn't, I don't know what it is. I'm just going to assume that there's been 1% of the time when that hasn't worked out that way. I, I typically think that if there's a point where people haven't wanted to work with me um it's probably more because they just you know i i have a different personality to them i'm you know that maybe they just don't like me you know that happens in in life too and now i want to be really clear on this because it's something that i'm passionate about talking about because i recognize my experience is not all women's experience so i also recognize that 
most women, not all, but most women have to do more than their fair share of looking after the kids if they're running their own business as well. So let's just say you have a couple, husband and wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, and they have kids. The reality is for most women, they still do more of the work around the house and more of the work with the kids than the guy does. That is changing dramatically, but it's still not quite equal. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge that women have. And how do you get I, over that? Because you've got a son, haven't you? And you're, you you have to look after him on your own or you have done at times in your life? Um, oh, absolutely. Because, you know, very sadly, um, I'm a single mom because my son's partner, my, my partner, my son's dad passed away. So um, that makes it even harder because I'm all he has. So I, you know, for, for many years when I was running a more traditional business, it was a constant battle of feeling guilty and this is probably something that that if there is a difference this is probably the biggest one is that that women feel on the whole incredibly guilty the whole time because we feel like we can't ever give anything 100% whether you're juggling childcare you're juggling your business whichever one it is you just feel like you should be giving more to one than the other and you just don't know how to make it all meet and so the number one piece of advice I, I would give to women who are running their own businesses is go easy on yourself no one's perfect the men who run their own businesses and have got kids they're not perfect either the best thing that you can do is be the best parent that you can be when you're with your kids and be the best person that you can be in your business when you're running your business. And there will be occasions, and just face it, it's going to happen when there's a clash and you don't know what to do. And maybe your business will will, will lose out as a result of you prioritizing your, your family, which is, you know, for me, 99% of the time, you know, jet will always come first. Um, the 1% of the time when that might be different is if what I'm doing in my business is so important to me and my family, which means my son, that actually that's got to take priority because it's going to have a long-lasting impact on on our well-being, our financial well-being, and 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 therefore his stability. But the truth is, nobody is perfect. Uh, perfection is just an illusion, right? You, it's not real. We can't reach it. It's unattainable. And the same is true for men who have kids. And you know, just I think we just have to accept that. And we have to be at peace with it. And instead of beating ourselves up over it realize what a great example we are setting to our kids about following your dreams about pursuing what makes you happy because ultimately that's all we want for our kids all we want is to is to bring up happy healthy and confident children and the way you do that is by pursuing something that you love and making money whilst doing it so you can have a decent life and if you beat yourself up over it that's what your kids are going to see your kids are going to are going to associate negativity with pursuing their own dreams because they see you trying to pursue your dreams and yet you're beating yourself up over it and that's what they see and I know that's not what any of us want to do so I'm very conscious I have done that in the past and I was very conscious of the impact that that was having on Jet and I thought to myself I don't want him to associate that I'm going to find a different way to do it and so for me the truth is Rob you know January last year when I decided to walk away from you know my previous world and do things for myself my way right my way so right now I'm sat here and I'm looking out into my garden and we've got this absolutely stunning office that's been built right across my garden um there's a team of five of us who work out of there i take my son to school pretty much four out of five days a week i pick him up maybe three days a week um i have an awesome housekeeper who helps out in the in between and we just juggle it we find a way we juggle it and i'm all right with juggling because you know i don't believe in this work-life balance i, I think that again that's something that's unattainable because it means that anyone given everything's got to be equal all the time that just doesn't work i'm much more in pursuit of a work-life blend which means that I don't have to constantly be thinking weighing things up thinking which one's more important today and which ones I just deal with whatever's most important in the moment and then I move on to the next moment yeah I'm, I'm with you on this all the way tick 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 I, I wrote in life leverage about the myth of work-life balance because actually you don't balance anything because when you're doing one thing you're in it putting your energy into that thing and you get more results in that area and then less results in the other area this this balancing is a myth now i'm not a woman yet but i've got some thoughts on this because i've had a lot of female entrepreneurs that have come through my various training companies i'm a dad myself and i think it's really important to remember that when you see a downside or a weakness in your parenting skills there is a counterbalanced upside and when I was very young, I, I was always raised in pubs, bars, clubs, hotels. And literally from the age of could just about walk, three, whatever, 
my parents would leave me and my sister upstairs in the sort of flat above the pub and they'd work in the pub downstairs. Yeah. And there'd be all the hustle and the bustle and the noise, which would go till two or three in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and and for, from probably three till 15-ish, when we moved out of that world, you know, we, we saw them, but not a lot. And I loved it because I was able to cook, clean, wash, iron and look after my sister by the age of seven or eight. Yeah. And it it made me highly independent. Now, the thing that mum especially, but mum and dad never deprived me of was love. And so when we did spend time together, you know, that, that they gave me enough love. And, you know, we'd have Christmas Day in the pubs downstairs. I'd be able to go downstairs and play pool with the customers. And so a lot of, I think, female entrepreneurs and mums, or at least, let's say, because I'm not a woman, men who are parents as well, they feel really guilty if they're not spending a load of time with their kids. But your kids need time away from you to build independence. And if you were with them all the time, they'd become dependent and weak and too needy. And, and you're allowed to go and do what you want to do that's important to you and set up a successful business. Because, Charlotte, like you pointed out, that they will learn by what you do and how you behave. And if you go and become a successful, happy person with good self-worth because you've got a good business and you put time into it, they won't look at you resenting you because you didn't spend 24 hours a day with them. They'll look yeah, at you and, of course they won't. They, they'll look at you being inspired that you're someone who's inspiring and... When you're not with them, they'll probably go and do more of that kind of behavior anyway. So I know people, the modern parenting say, you know, that love is time and you need to spend a lot of time with them. Yeah, you need to spend some time with them. But too much time is a bad thing because they just become selfish and dependent and needy. And um, it's probably... Can I, can I add something I think is really important to this? Is So, so 100% in agreement with you on, on, on all of this. And the one thing um, that I think both mums and dads need to be conscious of is the judgment of others as well right so we can get ourselves into a position where we are very comfortable with this because i think it's just logical and deep down we know it makes sense right but then what happens is you have a friend maybe it's a woman who doesn't work for example she's chosen for whatever reason her choice that that she wants to stay home and raise her kids and that's her full-time job and you know what that's absolutely fine because that's her choice but sometimes you will find non-working mothers being judgmental of working mothers sometimes you'll find grandparents both you know the granddad and the grandmother being judgmental because that's not how they were brought up because it's a different generation and so i just want to add into this that don't let other people's judgments affect you that's their issues it's not your issues but more importantly it is not your reality that is not your reality there is absolutely nothing to show that a woman who stays home full-time looking after her kids is going to raise healthier happier more confident or quote-unquote more successful whatever that means in the grander scheme of life than than you are by working so just don't let other people's judgments of you affect you because i think that i've seen that so much with people that that they get to a really good place where they're like do you know what I found a way to balance all of this together or to blend it all together. It might not be perfect, but it works for me and it works for my husband or it works for me by myself. It works for me and my partner, whatever it is. And then somebody else comes in and knocks them sideways by making little snarky remarks or, oh, you know, oh, it's just such a shame your mum has to work so hard, isn't it? I mean, and oftentimes when people say things like this, they actually don't really mean it. But it, it's it's that what you're doing is making them feel uncomfortable for whatever reasons. But that's that's their issues. It's not yours and don't let their issues become yours. Yep. Amen. And um, we're getting right on our um, soapboxes <laughs> here, aren't we, on this one? Wow. Oh, we should, we should start a revolution or something. <laughs> they're gonna, oh, my God, those two, they're going to set up their, their own political party yes, next. Yeah. <laughs> so guilt, just quickly on that. Guilt yes. is seeing only the downside of the thing that happened in the past or the thing that you're not doing now. Uh, Remember, there's always an upside of the thing that you did in the past and you're not doing now. Even in the mistakes you made, there's always an upside. So just remember, anyone listening, that any guilt you have, you're only seeing a downside of the past or current circumstance and you're not seeing the upside. So when you look at the upside, for example, you make a parenting mistake, the upside is you, you strengthen your child or they become more independent, for example. So it, that just helps you, helps you get through guilt. Now, Shah, I'm looking through the rest of your bio. It's unbelievable. So you've got obviously your two best-selling books. You were, you're the, the world's only licensed female 
<laughs> boxing promoter. You worked alongside Don King, who put on 22 world title fights. You worked with uh, James Dyson from around his kitchen table and helped him build Dyson. You're an MBE for services to business and entrepreneurship. You've got Shah.com. You speak around the world. You're in the 2016 Garden newspaper, top 10 events to attend as a small business owner. So in a few words, what drives you to do all that? I mean, (laughs) surely that... Surely that's enough. Come on, take your shoes off, go and sing Kumbaya, sit on a beach and, and enjoy it. What, what drives you to want to do more? Well, to be fair, I am taking five weeks holiday, right? So, you know. Um, yeah, but you're merging um, passion and profession, aren't you? You're doing a bit of work out there as well. I am indeed. And that's what I mean by a blended life rather than a balanced one. Do you know what, Rob? I totally just absolutely love what I do. I reckon I come from a very matriarchal family. My nan's 91. And the best bit about getting my MBE was being able to take my nan with me to the palace. I mean, that was just extraordinary. That was genuinely, from my heart, the best part of it. It wasn't the medal. It was taking my nan because I love my nan to pieces. I um, love my mum too, but my nan, you know, she's 91. And you don't know how much time you've got left with somebody when they're 91. But, you know, I saw my nan yesterday. She looks after herself. She has nobody to come in to, to, to care for her whatsoever. She is fiercely independent. She worked until, oh, I don't know, she worked until she was 70, like full-time as a cook in a, in a primary school, and then carried on working, doing volunteer work. And I just come from a family who, we're a bunch of hard workers, but I think I've kind of broken the mold in the sense that I figured out how to do something I love and make money whilst doing it. Because, you know, I grew up on a council estate, um, single parent family. We, we genuinely absolutely had nothing. But my mum, my nan um, and my granddad, to be fair, were all hard workers. And, you know, I don't feel like what I do is really work. So I... I so the just... love for what you do drives you, that's it, is it? Nothing yeah, else? Yeah, it's, I mean... What about, there must be some pain there from what happened with your husband and looking after your son. There must be something there that drives you. Oh, totally. So I want to create a, I want to create financial stability for myself and my son. And for me, the key driver behind that is I grew up with nothing. And, the, you know, the, the tragedy of, of losing my partner, my son's dad at such an early age, I want to be able to, to counter that as much as I, po- uh, I can possibly. And that's not, that's not about giving my son money or giving him everything he wants at all. But it's about being able to provide him with a stable home environment um, to be able to allow him to grow up in a way that you know he can flourish and grow into the man that that he is destined to become and i want to be able to take time off i want to you know financially obviously it makes it so much easier that when you earn decent money you're able to take time off and you're able to enjoy that with your friends and the people that you love so for me um you know there's that saying life is not about the number of breaths that you take but the 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 number of moments that take your breath away and for me that's that's ultimately why i do what i do because i just want to create as many incredible experiences with the people that i love as i can that's it there is nothing else that's that's more important to me there's nothing else that's more important to me than that and by creating financial stability it gives you more freedom it gives you more choice it allows you to do more of the things that you love and allows you to do less of the things that you don't and then you get to this fantastic turning point and and you know i'm so grateful that i got there last year and it was the point at which you go do you know what i never ever have to do any work that i don't want to do ever again because I'm now financially secure enough to be able to say no every single time I want to. And the more you say no, the more opportunities you have to say yes to the stuff that you love. And if you look at my career, of course, it would be fair to say that I love breaking the mold. So, you know, the, the, the first and only at that point in time licensed female boxing uh, manager in the world, working with Dyson from around a kitchen table, um, you know, Sunday Times, but I said all these accolades, it's not so so much for the, the the pat on the back oh my god you know that's i mean don't get me wrong a bit of that is nice for everybody right we all like to be congratulated that we're doing a good job and, and there's nothing wrong with that that's human nature look at our kids they thrive when we tell them what a great job they're doing so of course we want to to not just be told that we're doing a great job but see that we're doing a great job but for me i think the added thing is is i just love it when somebody tells me i can't do something because i'm like really <laughs> really <gasps> watch me now you know like the moment somebody tells me i can't do something is a sure way to tell me that I'm going to go and do it um, and I'm super competitive like I am so competitive 
that that spurs me on. If I see somebody else doing something, doing it better than me, um, growing up in America, I think I, I grew up with this really healthy attitude about competition. When I see somebody doing something better than me, the first thing I do is, oh my God, that's amazing. That's my first reaction. It's not, oh my God, why are they doing that and not me? My second reaction is, okay, how did they do that? My third reaction is, right, I'm going to study them. My fourth reaction is, right, how do I create that into a system that's going to work for me? My fifth reaction is, right, now I'm going to go beat them. But in a positive way, you know, it's not like I want to beat them so I win and they lose. It's more like a camaraderie. It's like, wow, he's done such a great job. Wow, she's done such a great job. What can I learn from that and apply to my own business? Cool. Right, Sharp. Got about six quick fire questions. Is that all right? Maybe we'll yep, do a bit sure. on Go. each because I'm, I'm, yep. I want to be really respectful of your time as well. That's fine. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got Julie, my PA, looking at me going, how long have you been on there for? I'm yeah. like, oh, no, it's fine. Now, go on, go on. 56 <laughs> minutes so far and we're still in <laughs> <Yeah>. the intro. <laughs> yeah. Go. All right, great. Just So I'm going to ask a question, then I'm going to frame it and then I'm going to ask it back. So bear with me for one minute. So the question's going to be, how important is money in being an entrepreneur and then let me frame it because I think there's a lot of people say I'll oh, just do what you love and the money will come just focus on service and the money will come and I think that's true but it's only part or half true because if you do what you love and the money will come and you love uh, painting the faces of turtles at a turtle leap year party <laughs> where are you inventing this from no idea. leap year but, party but, uh, all right let, let me let, if your if your business model's a bit niche or no one wants it yeah, and you go and yeah. do what you love you, you, that's kind of insane or if you don't charge enough for fair exchange for your services like i used to be an artist and i so used to undercharge for my art and i was doing what i loved but i but i was undercharging and therefore it wasn't sustainable business so there's the sort of caveat so, sure. how important is money, you know, making money in business and how much should you focus on it? Money is crucial. It is the difference between running a business and running a hobby. And if you've listened to the beginning of this podcast, you will know that I'm a big proponent of you know, following your passion, that's one way of saying it. Um, following your purpose, that's another way of saying it. I just talk about doing what you love, right? Doing what you love. But let me tell you one thing. If you do what you love and you can't make money out of it, carry on doing what you love, but that's called a hobby. Because a business is where you make money. So I would much rather you thought about how can I do something that I love and makes money? And I want you to be really brutally honest about it because you know what? Six months in, you've got to learn, is this actually got traction? Am I making money from this? And then you've got to ask yourself, am I not making money from this because I've missed something? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing something wrong, in which case who can help me, who can teach me, show me the right way to do it? Or is this not working because fundamentally nobody's going to pay for it? You've got to be honest with yourself in business. And the truth is, there's a big, you know, you don't always know what's going to work. So you've got to try things and you've got to be prepared to pivot and turn and adjust as you go through it. But bottom line, a business is there to make money. A business is not a hobby. Great answer. Love it. The balance of doing what you love and monetizing it, understanding the difference between a hobby and a business and not being too emotional and lovey about it. Because there are a lot of big teachers out there who are very smart, but also just keep saying, do what you love and the money will follow. Well, uh, I think you've also got to have a commercial capitalist market analysis, you know, those kind of hats on as well. So Great you do it doesn't and it doesn't need to be complicated rob you know it really truly doesn't need to be complicated um but you can't just wish for money and it appears i just i just don't buy into that you have to have a plan but it can be a simple plan yep cool so top three big mistakes you see entrepreneurs do that you want to grab them and go no <laughs> oh my god the top three mistakes i see entrepreneurs do okay straight out of the gate number one not understanding how to make money. So it comes right off the back of your previous question. I see way too many people have a good idea and launch a business with no focus on how they're going to drive sales and revenue because that has to be at your very core. So in the past, we talk about a business plan, like creating a business plan. It was like, a, I don't know, like war and peace. And it was this great big, and nobody ever looked at it like, I think every entrepreneur needs a business plan or a business model. And that can be a simple one page. Like, how are you going to make money? That's got to be your number one question. So the first thing I see people doing is not understanding how they're going to make money, how they're going to make sales. Right. The second thing I see entrepreneurs doing, which I do truly want to shake them, is not thinking big enough. So it's almost the opposite of the first question, but it's also just the prevalent, you know, I see entrepreneurs thinking, oh, okay, I've got this idea, I'm going to start out. And they just don't think big enough about what they could potentially do 
do. And I think that's a real shame because, you know what, it takes just as much time and hard work to think big as it does to think small. So why bother thinking small? Think big. Think big and you get bigger rewards. And the third one is not understanding how to leverage what they've already got. And this is clearly something that we teach a lot of. And, you know, I've spoken a lot of your workshops, Rob, and we've always had fantastic results and feedback because my big thing is teaching people how to use the skills, knowledge and expertise that they've already got to turn into digital products and online courses so they can scale a business without being tied to the business. So I guess a little offshoot of that third point is what I see way too many entrepreneurs doing is literally enslaving themselves to their business where they're just constantly trading time for money. That is not a business. That is slavery. You have enslaved yourself. And there are so many better ways of running a business that doesn't need you to run it run it for it. You know, ways for you to scale your business. So that yes, you, you're involved. Yes, it's your business. But you don't have to work 14 hours a day to do it. You don't have to kill yourself in the process because business should be fun. Business should not be a slog. Business should be enjoyable. This should not be about you constantly trading your time for money. And if you are doing those things, you've got to stop. There are better ways of doing this. And there are easier ways of doing this. And it's not rocket science. And you don't need a degree. You just need a very simple plan. And then you need to stop talking, start doing and take some action on it. That's it. Cool. Who inspires you the most? So living or dead, celebrity or someone no one's heard of, business person or whoever, you know, are there people out there that really inspire you? There are people out there who really inspire me. And, and oh, you know, it's interesting when I think about it. So without any question, my son inspires me every single day to want to be a better person and try to give him the best example that I can. And I think most parents would, would, would feel that way and, and say those things. And and that's certainly very true for me. The second, there's a guy called Dan Martell, who's a Canadian entrepreneur, who I met speaking at an event a few years ago in Canada. And we've just become such close friends. He's like my big brother. And he's introduced me to people like, you know, the people that we all know as famous people in this world. But they're his best friends. And the way he's looked out for me is is extraordinary. I would then say people in this country like Greg Secker and Andrew Reynolds who are in our peer group who, again, are constantly in my corner. They're constantly supporting me. I mean, I have such fantastic conversations with both of them where I tell them what I'm going to do and they just look at me like, why are you thinking so small? Like, well, yeah, who cares about a million-dollar product launch? Why aren't you doing a $5 million product launch, girl? And I'm like, okay. Like, I love people who who'd stretch me and wanted to kind of push me further. And then – there are people like Gary Vaynerchuk who I have to tell you that when I see his content, I just think to myself, wow, like just holy wow. I look at it and just think, I just want to try to be that good. I, I, I really do. And then from a finally, from a female perspective and also from an author perspective, I am a huge fan of Brené Brown and her writing. And I'm also a huge fan of Ariana Huffington and everything she's done in all of her different guises and all of the different businesses she's run and also in her books. So Brené Brown, Ariana Huffington, Dan Martell, Greg Secker, Andrew Reynolds, and the famous Gary Vaynerchuk. They, they, would, they would be my kind of the people that on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis, I, I, I refer to, I relate to in my head, if not like in conversation as somebody who has inspired me to do more, who has inspired me to be more, or, or who I inspire to be like. I aspire to be like them. If only I could write half as well as Brené does, I, I, I would just, my world would be perfect. Great. Love it. And then books. Any books you've read that have, you've gone, wow, maybe one or three, you know, seminal books for you? Number one, The Magic of Thinking Big David by Schwartz. David. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My all-time favorite book. I read it when I was 18, and it categorically shifted the way I thought about everything. From that point onwards, I only ever thought big because I didn't understand the reason for doing anything differently. Rising Strong by Brene Brown. And then a book called Rework. I don't know if you've read that, but Rework is a fab, fab, fab book. Um, it's, uh, I would highly recommend it. It's just for also as a kind of author who really appreciates how books are pulled together. Um, this book is just pulled together fantastically well. So those would be my three books, three business books. Awesome. Do you watch uh, documentaries, you know, sort of interesting educational documentaries? 
I do, but I'd have to be honest, I'm currently a little bit slightly... Oh, sorry, one other book, The 50th Law by 50 Cent and Robert Greene. Okay, yeah, great. Killer book, absolute killer book. Um, I'm slightly obsessed with Netflix, so I, I have run out of time for watching documentaries because instead I'm watching <laughs> like all kinds of crazy American uh, drama. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's my vibe. What's your favourite? Um, I'm well into those as well. I love Suits, I love Ray Donovan. What, do you like... Do you, what oh, I love Ray Donovan! I oh, know, it's yeah. so good, isn't it? How about Banshee? Have you watched Banshee? Uh, no, I haven't. And it's on the it's on the favourites list. House of Cards, brilliant. Yeah. The, the, Sons of Anarchy? Yeah, I started that. Can be a bit quite violent in places. I, I sometimes need something that's... What, the reason I love Suits is there's some humour in it. And, yeah, there you know, is. The Homeland and all that, like, they can be so intense. I and, mean, um, Sons of Anarchy is very intense, but uh, again, like in the future, one of my future careers is I want to write a absolute killer, uh, either a movie or a HBO TV series. That's that's on my goals of life. And so when I watch Sons of Anarchy, I just truly appreciate the screenwriting is right. absolutely fantastic. Cool. Well, I just posted on um, one of my communities saying that would people value me reviewing some or all of the documentaries I've watched? Because I've watched loads and I, I love it. And there was loads of people that said yes. So seeing as you weren't able to, I'm going to give three recommendations. And one of them is the, the Lego documentary. It's called a Lego Brickumentary. And it's all about people who um, just love Lego. And then Lego found them or they found Lego, the company. And they actually spend all their time working for Lego, building stuff, going to conventions. They sort of turn their passion into their profession and also how Lego recovered from really hard times. So inspirational. Pixar, I'm going to watch that. Pixar, yep. the Pixar documentary. Oh, that one I have seen. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love, you know, when they're all whizzing around the offices and all these, and what they're called, segways or whatever those, um, is that what they're called? You know, those little sort of scooter things. And uh, just how... Yeah, they're, they're not segways, but they're very similar, yeah. Yeah, how organic their um, sort of office space is and how creative and passionate everyone is. And I think everyone should watch the I Am Not Your Guru by Tony Robbins, which has just come out, because that's so insightful into his events. I've been to so many of his events over the years, and he was one of the many personal development people that really helped me get out of my own way. So, so I'll, I'll leave you with those three. Shah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Where can we find more about you? Where can people follow you, whether it's books, social media or whatever? Because I want to make sure everyone can find you online and follow what you do because you're doing great things. Okay, so I would suggest the best way to find me is to uh, go to facebook.com forward slash Shah Wasmond. But even easier than that, because my surname's a little bit difficult to find, is just go to Shah, S-H-A-A.com. Just go to S-H-A-A.com. <laughs> I can, can I actually spell my own name? It's really simple. It's only got four letters. So just go to shaa.com, shaa.com. You can find me there. You can sign up there for any of our events. And for those of you who are interested in books, uh, there's tons of information on there. I think our next boot camp in September is actually all about books. So you can go and have, check that out on there. Follow me on Facebook. Weird name, easy to find. Literally, Shaw Wasmond. Put that into Google. You'll find me somewhere. Shaw, once again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you Love very much. It. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for everybody who's listened in. Um, I hope you, we managed to give you some snippets of information. If nothing else, hopefully you had a good laugh in the process. So, um, Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you.